So here's a riddle for you this morning. Um, what do the Apostle Paul, the color purple, and the continent of Europe have in common? Well, there's a great big clue on the screen behind me. <laughs> the answer is Lydia. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, Lydia is another one of those rarely... Uh, referred to characters or individuals in the Bible, in the New Testament, and yet we can learn a lot in those few mentions there as we piece together the clues of the surrounding passages leading up to the mention and what we know from history in studying this culture in this time period. So I hope that uh, you will learn something today that will encourage your heart and maybe even get just a little bit of a, of a history lesson. But the first time that we see her mentioned is when Paul is traveling on his second missionary journey through Asia Minor. And you're going to see on the map, we'll go ahead and put that up for you and, uh, as, we, as we take a look at this. And I, I'm, I do not have the scripture for you on the screen, so you need to open your Bibles or your Bible apps. I've, I've kind of spoiled you, so open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Acts chapter 16. And we'll start at verse 8. But on the map, you are going to see, and by the way, if you do get the notes that we put out, um, the sermon notes, they're available through a, a link, and you can get that on the Bible app. I won't take time to go into that if you're interested. You can, you can contact the church office. But anyway, I do have the scriptures there, so you can open up that app and, and read along. But Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 8. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So if you look on the map, I tried to identify it there. Hopefully you can see it uh, in uh, Asia Minor there, right on the coast. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Remember when it says, we got ready? This is actually Luke, who is with Paul, recording this and writing it. Luke is the one that wrote, obviously, the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. And so, and Luke was a physician, but he was also an historian. So this is a first-person eyewitness account uh, of what is going on as Luke records this. As Paul, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace. So there's like a little island there that they kind of stopped at. And then they go on as they're heading over toward Macedonia and, and what is the continent of, of Europe. The next day we went on to Neapolis. Now this is on the coastline um, of Europe there. That's where they, they landed in at that port. And then from there, it says, we traveled to Philippi. So this was a journey now from Neapolis across the land, uh, journeying to the city of Philippi. And Luke records it this way. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. 
It's important for us to understand some of the geographical location and, and some of the history of this place at that time in the culture. Uh, obviously, it's totally different now. Uh, things have changed in, in world history and local history. So uh, anyway, we need to look at it in this cultural setting. So up to this time, the Apostle Paul had been doing all of his ministry in Asia Minor. But now, because of this vision that he had at night, and it doesn't say whether he was like sleeping and in a dream-type state, uh, whether it was that or literally just the Holy Spirit moved on him and he got this vision. But the point is, he knew it was from God because it was very unusual. And so they, they sensed because there was this man saying, please come to Macedonia and help us, he, he told the rest of his uh, companions and, and those that were traveling with him in his ministry, he said, hey, the Lord is calling us to go to Macedonia, so, so let's just go there and we'll see what God has in store for us. Now, I'm not sure about this, but here's what we need to understand about the city of Philippi. Again, it was a Roman colony but it was a very special Roman colony in that actually it was a military settlement. So Roman soldiers were stationed there and they were actually appointed there, the governing officials of Philippi were appointed there directly by uh, Caesar and the Roman from Rome. And so the people that lived in Philippi had privileges, special privileges that maybe didn't exist in other parts uh, under Roman rule. But the people that lived in Philippi could buy and sell property. Um, they didn't have to pay taxes. I'd like to live there, that'd be good. Um, and anyway, they had protection under Roman law. And I, I don't know this for a fact, obviously, but it would stand to reason Paul was a Roman citizen. Even though he was a Hebrew and he was a Pharisee who had studied, he was born as a Roman citizen. So he had rights under Roman law. And it stands to reason, again, Paul wasn't just this mindless person. He was very intelligent. And so he wanted to connect with the culture and use the benefits of, of his upbringing to be able to expand the gospel. So it makes sense that rather than just sticking around in Neapolis or traveling somewhere else to spread the gospel, he's like, I'm going to go to Philippi because I know there they've got rights as Roman citizens. I'm a Roman citizen. Hopefully I can use that to have the opportunity to spread the gospel because in a lot of the towns in Asia Minor, he would go to the synagogues first because he was Jewish. He would listen and then as he had opportunity, he would teach the Jewish people about Jesus, that Jesus is this Messiah that you all have been looking for. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. He wants us, God wants us to trust in Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. There were many Jewish people that believed and received. There were many who rejected and did not like the message. And so they absolutely wanted to kick Paul out of town. They stirred up trouble in every town that he went to um, because they were opposed to his message. So now as Paul's going into Macedonia, he's probably looking for a synagogue there, but there's, there's none there. So he's thinking, okay, I can, I can just as a Roman citizen and also as a follower of Christ share the gospel. So anyway, this is where Paul met Lydia. Let's take a look now at verse 13. Acts chapter 16, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. This is how we know uh, there's nothing mentioned about Paul going into a synagogue here. That's what he always did in every town. So the assumption here is there was probably no synagogue in Philippi. There wasn't enough Jewish males there to establish a synagogue. 
and yet there were some probably Jewish believers there, and so they would go outside the city, and uh, they would find a place to pray, and the river was obviously a common community gathering place because it was just like a main road that they would use the the river to travel on and, and to wash and do the different things they needed to do. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, again, it doesn't say that there wasn't men, but at least as they were looking for a place to pray, they saw some women gathered and probably struck up a conversation and realized that they were there to pray. Verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Just be patient with me as we walk through this. Thyatira is a city that is in Asia Minor. And so we know that she had traveled from Thyatira to Philippi, we, and it doesn't tell us why, but we're going to know in a moment why she traveled. But I just want you to understand that. And by the way, Thyatira was a city that was known for people, a, a lot of craft trades, and they had what was called these craft guilds, which not only involved learning your business and being trained in a certain craft or, or trade, but also it involved worship of pagan gods often because you were asking that god to help you in your business or whatever. So this is the kind of background that Lydia came out of from that city. Okay, so from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Make note of that. She was a worshiper of God. That's another thing to kind of take note of. Now look at this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So here's what we learn about Lydia's life from this passage. Again, although she's only mentioned here and then just one other time a little bit further down in Acts chapter 16, as I said, understanding about culture and history and studying all these things. Number one, we know that Lydia was a wealthy entrepreneur. Now, how do we know that? Well, because she was a seller of purple or a dealer in purple. In that culture, purple was extremely hard uh, to create. It came from a dye that was made, and go ahead and put the next, well, well let, me, let me just say this. She was a wealthy entrepreneur. Her business was selling purple and dye fabrics. And, and as I mentioned before, she was originally from Thyatira in Asia Minor. Okay, go ahead and put that next slide up. So in doing the research, I wanted you to see this. On the right-hand side, there is an artistic drawing of a plant. It's referred to as the matter root. It was actually the, the root of that plant. And in Thyatira, this is a plant that was grown, and they would use the root of it to make dye. Now, that dye wasn't as good as the dye that was made from uh, milking a sea snail. <laughs> How do you milk a sea snail? I have no idea. But it's a very tedious process. I'm joking about the, the milking. But seri I am serious about this. The Murex sea snail is the snail that they would use the mucus of in order to get the dye that they would use to make purple. Now, can you imagine how much work it would take, number one, because this isn't in a time when they had submarines and scuba gear. Can you imagine how much trouble it would be, number one, to gather these shells, or, well, not the shells, but the actual snail while the snail's still in the shell. 
and then to somehow take that snail out or whatever process they did to get the mucus from that snail. And can you imagine how many snails it would take to get just a small amount to make the dye to begin to dye fabrics? It was such an expensive and tedious and laborious process. That's why purple was so valued and so expensive. And so the only people that could afford to have access to purple dyes would be somebody that had a lot of wealth. And if you're in that business, you would have to develop and have a lot of wealth to be able to pay your workers and uh, do the work yourself, be involved in all of that in order to sell it. So just the fact alone that we know that Lydia was a seller or a dealer in purple fabric, she had to be wealthy. And we also know that she was an entrepreneur because she was a dealer in it. She was a seller. She had, lit, she had come from Thyatira, which was a city known for making dyes and these types of things. But now she was in Philippi. That means that she traveled. So she was traveling and using her business. And also it's interesting to note that because Philippi was a Roman colony, and remember I mentioned it was a military settlement, so it was like a military base there. The only people that would really have access that would be wealthy enough or have means to get purple fabric would be Roman authorities and soldiers. So it just makes sense that Lydia was there in Philippi doing this business and uh, she was a smart woman. This is another thing too that's interesting. You know, we often hear that in the Bible it talks about how women were always oppressed and women, women never had opportunity. And yet here again in the scripture, just like Priscilla and Aquila, who was a, a, a man and woman, probably a married couple, who were in business together and successful. Now we see Lydia, who was a successful businesswoman in that day. And Paul didn't shun her and didn't say, well, the gospel's not for you. He approached her and the other women that were there. The gospel is for everybody. The gospel is for the poor. The gospel is for the wealthy. The gospel is for the worker. The gospel is for the business owner. The gospel is for every single person. Doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. Doesn't matter where you were born or the color of your skin. The gospel is for you because Jesus died for you. And he wants you to learn to love him in return, to just realize what he has done for you. And so this is what the apostle Paul was communicating to her. Um, quite likely, again, all that Luke says is that they stayed there for several days. So my thought is probably when they first got into town, they would do what anyone would do. They didn't just go straight to the river and look for somebody to pray. They went into town, they looked around, they're like, well, where are we going to stay? So they probably got to know some people. They found out where there might be an inn or a place to stay. Um, they got to know where to get something to eat. And then in the course of learning the city, because they had never been there before, then they probably began to ask around and they realized, okay, there's no synagogue in town. Well, where do people gather to worship? And somebody said, well, down by the river, there's people that gather there to pray. So they went. Also remember, Paul was a tent maker. And this is really important because Lydia was a dealer in purple fabric. Now, again, she could have either sold the dye itself that was used to make fabric, or she could have had the purple fabrics. And quite often, tents were made out of leather, 
But who's to say that there weren't some accessories that maybe was used on tents? Again, we don't know, but the point is this. Paul was a tent maker, a craftsman. Lydia was a craftsperson and a seller of purple fabric. And it would stand to reason that as they walked along and they saw these women, as they just started up a conversation like anybody would, where are you from and how did you come to Philippi? Paul realized, oh, Lydia's a dealer in, in purple fabric. And so maybe that got a conversation going as well so that they could find common ground. Here's the goal or the, the thing that I want us to notice from this. As we share our faith about Christ today in this culture, it's really important to find common ground with someone. Start up a conversation. See if you have some common interests or some common things in your work. And start there. And then as you're talking about that and hopefully you begin to build some understanding and respect for one another, then you're creating an environment where the other person that you're talking to may just be ready to listen to what else you have to say. And then you can share about your faith in Christ. So, I, again, I don't know, but it would stand to reason that this was Paul's approach. And obviously, because they gathered there to pray, he knew that they were spiritually open to the things of God. So Paul, probably, obviously, as, as he knew they were there to pray, he told them about who Jesus is, what he has done for them and for us through his life, death, and bodily resurrection, and about his Holy Spirit being available if you just open your life to him and to his spirit and ask him to come into your soul and your spirit and to, to forgive you and cleanse you and to help you live for him, then it can change your life. And that's what it says in verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Now here again, we don't know if... Um, she had actually converted to Judaism, but quite likely she, um, because she had come from Thyatira and they worshiped all kinds of gods, maybe when she heard about this God, Yahweh, she wanted to learn more about this God. So we don't know if she worshiped God exclusively, but she was open to it. And when it says she was a worshiper of God, it indicates that she was a worshiper of Yahweh God. So she must have met some other Jewish women. Maybe she was beginning to learn about the Jewish faith. The point is this, she was a spiritual seeker. And that's the next thing. Go ahead and put that next slide up. Here's some other things that we learn about Lydia's life just from this brief little passage. So she was a spiritual seeker. And then we also see that she responded to the influence of God's Holy Spirit moving. Look, look at what it says. She was a worshiper of God. And then listen to this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. In the sovereignty of God, he wants all of us to come to him. And Jesus even said that no one can come to him unless the Father draw him. It's the Father's heart and desire that we would all come to know him. So when you come to faith in Christ, you can't claim any credit for yourself of like, oh yes, I'm so intelligent, I'm so spiritually sensitive that I realize my need and I accepted Christ. No, if you've done that, it's because God touched your heart. He's the one that initiated it. But that doesn't take away your responsibility. In God's sovereignty, he can open our heart to prepare us to receive the gospel but we have to, by faith, respond to it. You see, it's a two-way thing. God opens it in his sovereignty, but he wants us to, to then act upon that opening that he's given and to receive it. And this is what Lydia did. The Lord opened her heart to respond, but she still needed to respond by belief and faith. 
How many of you here today, whether you're in person or listening online, you've heard the gospel message? Um, maybe the Lord has touched your heart before and moved your heart and, and you, your heart was warmed or you felt, wow, that's something I really ought to do or I need to think more about this. But then you chose to close that door and reject it and say, well, I'll think about it another day or I'll do it when things are more convenient or when circumstances are better. Or later on in my life, I'll think about doing this. Don't do that. If God is opening your heart, we need to follow Lydia's example and respond right there. Respond to that opening. If the Lord would touch your heart this morning through listening to this message, and I believe this is part of what the Lord wanted me to share this morning. If the Lord is touching your heart and this makes sense to you or you're feeling like God's Spirit is, is speaking to you, then by all means, please respond to it by faith and believe. Don't reject it. This is what Lydia did. She responded to the influence of God's Holy Spirit moving and she became an unashamed, open follower of Jesus. How do we know that? Because she was baptized, and her family was baptized, or her household. So again, we don't know her circumstance. It could be that she was uh, an unmarried woman. It could have been that she was married and her husband died, because it doesn't refer to her household as her children, it's just the people that were living with her. So again, we don't know who those people were. But the point is this, Lydia didn't just accept Christ and say, I want to be baptized and then keep it secret and be a secret follower of Jesus. Because, you know, religion and, and spirituality is really a personal thing, and we don't need to talk about that with other people. You know, it's just a private thing. So we're not going to talk about that. That's not Lydia's example, and that's not what being a follower of Jesus means. In the same way that if you get married, you shouldn't just keep quiet and not let anybody know you're married, like you're ashamed of your spouse. We talk about our spouse because you're in relationship. If you have kids, you shouldn't just not talk about your kids because, well, I don't want to talk about it because it's none of their business and it's a personal thing. We love our kids. We're in relationship, so we talk about our kids and our grandkids. Why is it that people use the excuse that spirituality somehow is a, a private matter or a personal thing? Because if you really love Jesus and you're in relationship with him, then you shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. People may make fun of you. Doesn't matter. Lydia, her life was changed. She wanted others to know. She was baptized. She used her influence and her faith to share that and to make sure her household heard Paul speak the gospel. It wasn't that she was the preacher. She probably just invited Paul uh, to talk to the people of her household, and they as well received Christ by faith and were baptized. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Here's another reason that we know she was wealthy because she had a home in Philippi. She had bought some property. Remember I said you could buy and sell property? And the home was large enough to not only have whoever her household was, however many members stayed with her, her workers or whatever, but she invited Paul and his entourage to stay there. So she must have had a, a pretty nice place. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Didn't say Paul. Paul wasn't the only one. It was Paul and Luke and everybody that was with him. So 
here's just a, a couple of things we can glean from this. And, and as I was reading this and, and thinking about it, meditating on it, this, it, this is not a new thought, but I think it's something that needs to be emphasized. Worldly success, in other words, having success with business and having money and gaining fame or power, worldly success doesn't guarantee fulfillment, especially spiritual fulfillment. And this is what we see from Lydia's life. This is part of Lydia's legacy, <clears throat> is that she realized that though she was a successful businesswoman, she needed more. And so that's why she gathered at the river to pray. She became a spiritual seeker. She wasn't sure what she was looking for, but she just knew she needed more, and she needed to have a faith beyond herself and the things of this life. So her heart was open to seeking God. And she heard the gospel, and she responded, and there's where she found her fulfillment. Now, here's the other side of the coin. Spiritual fulfillment doesn't guarantee worldly success. You know, there are some people that teach and believe, well, you just accept Jesus, and you walk with God in the right way, and you are going to be successful in life. You'll have a good job. Things will go well with your family. Every, God's going to help you get everything in line. If you just ask him into your life and you become spiritually fulfilled, then you're going to have worldly success too. And that's not what the Scripture teaches. Now, I do believe that you're blessed. If you accept Christ and you're spiritually fulfilled, God's going to bless your life, but he'll bless it in different ways than maybe what you expect. Sometimes he'll bless you in giving you strength to get through trials that you had no idea you were going to be facing. In fact, I don't know how many times over the years I've heard people say, <clears throat> when they're going through a tough time, I don't see how people do this without Jesus. I don't see how people go through this without Jesus. You see, they're reflecting what I'm saying here. The spiritual fulfillment doesn't necessarily guarantee worldly success, but it's absolutely worth it. And in the end, we have eternal success, so to speak, because we've responded to our creator and we're part of his eternal kingdom. So this is something that Lydia sets an example for us, <clears throat> and, and the apostle Paul is an example <laughs> of someone who had spiritual fulfillment, but in the world standards was not a success. Now again, according to the gospel and in the kingdom of God, awesome because we're still reading his word today and the Holy Spirit impacted his life, but if you look at the world... Uh, I don't see any businesses named after the Apostle Paul. Every town he went to, just about, he ended up in jail, and he was stoned and beaten and kicked and thrown out. I wouldn't call that worldly success. And yet he was filled with spiritual fulfillment, and he was helping others to be fulfilled spiritually. So here's Lydia's legacy. This is what I want us to think about today. This is how she was used by God. She used what she had to share the gospel with other people. She responded by faith, first of all, and used her worldly success to support the cause of Christ. And you and I can do the same thing with whatever resources we have. Whether you feel like you make a lot of money or not much money, you can use the, the resources financially that you have to contribute into the life of the church, missionaries, that the gospel is spread. Wherever the work of God is, is going out, it's important for us to use the resources to help support that. That's the example that Lydia sets for us. That's what she did. Secondly, she used her faith to positively influence her family. 
Because after she accepted Christ, she wanted to make sure that those of her household heard this and had the opportunity to trust Christ, and they did. And we know that Lydia also wanted to influence her community. Um, she used her possessions to benefit the church and to spread the gospel. How do we know this? <laughs> because Lydia, in her own words, said to Paul, if you believe that I truly am a, a believer now, if you think I truly am a believer in Jesus, please come to my house and stay with me. She was saying, I want to demonstrate my belief by sharing what I have to help you and your companions or as you're sharing the gospel. And imagine this was just the beginning of her wanting to share her faith and be supportive. I don't think that stopped after Paul left town. Well, here's an interesting thing. When we read Acts chapter 16, there's another person that I'm not going to talk about this morning because this person is often talked about more and overshadows Lydia. And that person, uh, after Lydia invited Paul and his companions to stay at her house, what happened was as Paul was going back to the river uh, again to, to pray, it was part of the habit and he wanted to keep sharing the gospel in Philippi, there was a woman who had uh, some kind of a perhaps demonic spirit but every time she would see Paul and uh, Silas and, and Luke and all of them that was traveling, she'd look at them and she'd say, hey, there's, there's the people of God and they're sharing the message of Jesus or they're sharing the gospel. Now, that would be a good thing, right? I mean, that, you'd think, wow, Paul likes that because he's getting a lot of attention. But the problem was this woman, number one, was being used basically in the early days of human trafficking because it, she was a slave because it said her owners they were profiting from her having this gift of discernment and prophecy and, and kind of fortune-telling, so to speak. So we might call her a fortune-teller. But apparently she wasn't fake, or if she was fake, at least uh, God was showing her that Paul was a true uh, messenger of the gospel. Whatever the point is, Paul's thinking, here's this woman that is known as a fortune teller and, and basically a false prophet, and she's identifying with us. That's got to stop. Because I don't want the truth of the gospel to be mingled in with this people thinking that we're part of this false uh, prophecy or false prophet. So after a few days, Paul finally got fed up with it. And so he looked at her and in the power of the spirit, he said, I command you to come out of her and whatever that demonic spirit or whatever it was, it did leave her and she lost that ability. Well, there... There was the money train going for her owners. They're like, oh my gosh, now we can't use her anymore. She's no good to us. They got, they, they got upset with Paul. They, they didn't look and say, wow, Paul, that's awesome. You must, you must truly be a worshiper of the true God, so we believe in him now. No, they were more concerned about their worldly wealth, their material possessions, and what they lost. And so they started, they started trouble, stirred up a riot. Paul and Silas were arrested. They go into jail. And that's where you read about what happened next. Paul and Silas were singing in the jail, singing hymns, worshiping God. There was a great earthquake that happened. The jail, the doors opened. Uh, the Roman jailer thought that everybody was going to escape, so he was getting ready to kill himself. Remember, this was a military settlement, and the people there were appointed by Rome. And so that's why this Roman soldier knew he was responsible. And if those soldiers got away, he, he was just going to go ahead and take his own life because he wasn't going to wait for the emperor to kill him, put him to death for not doing his job. But Paul cried out and said, don't do it. We're all here. 
The Roman jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Because he had heard Paul singing and everything and, and administered to him. We all hear that story about the Roman jailer, and that's the one that overshadows Lydia. And so even though I said we weren't going to read about it, I just told you about it. But, <laughs> but I want you to see also in the Scripture why it's important to really study the Scripture and not look at those big passages that draw a lot of attention because we see the big miraculous with Paul casting the demon out of the woman and the earthquake of the jail cell being open, and we're like, wow, what a miracle. And that's why the Roman jailer accepted Christ and, and, his, and his whole family, by the way, was baptized, his, his household. But here's Lydia's legacy. There was no big miracle. There was no earthquake. She was down by the river, a spiritual seeker praying. Paul comes, talks to her, shares the gospel, and her heart was open, and she accepted Christ. And it changed her life. And that's still a miracle. That is absolutely a miracle. But so often we look at the big spectacular stuff and then we miss the everyday miracles that God is doing in people's lives. So let's take a look at it now. Um, this is uh, after this has all happened. Um, by the way, Paul used his Roman citizenship um, to point out the fact that he was beaten and thrown into jail without a trial, which was absolutely against Roman law. And those Roman officials could have got in huge trouble for doing that. Of course, they didn't know Paul was a, a, a Roman by birth. But anyway, so they are getting ready to release him. Let's pick it up in Acts 16.35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. Verse 36. The jailer told Paul... The magistrates have offered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, you were, you were falsely accused. You were beaten. You were put in jail. Oh, go in peace now. It's all cool, right? And so here again we see, I believe it's not the fleshly side of Paul. It might be a little bit. But he was showing us how as Christians, we're in your, when you're in a culture where you have rights, it is okay as a, as a citizen to stand up for your rights even as a follower of God. So look at what Paul says in verse 37. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. I love that. I mean, it's just like, we are, not, we are not going to be quiet about this. We were treated wrongly. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. Yeah, they should have been. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Here again, they're still like saying, hey, would you all just please leave? But look at this. Here's where we see the last mention of Lydia. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. Think about that. A huge stir in the city, everybody talking about it. It was on CNN, it was on Fox News, it was on MSNBC. Everybody was posting it on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. It was the talk of the town, and everybody had their opinion about Paul and Silas and what these troublemakers were doing coming into town. And then when they get out of prison, Lydia didn't say, you know, guys, I... I appreciate what you're doing, but I'd just rather not get involved. So um, thanks for letting me know about Jesus, and you all be on your way. No, here was her legacy. She said, I'm here to support you, and I don't care what people say about me. You can come and you can stay in my house, you and the whole gang, 
because I believe in what you're doing and I want to support it. So part of Lydia's legacy also shows us not to be afraid of cancel culture, not to be afraid of, of standing up for what is right. And again, you can do it in a loving and a peaceful way, but still supporting the truth of the gospel. And this is what she did. They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. So again, Paul and Silas realized, okay, our effectiveness here is probably done. So we will go ahead and, and we'll see what God has for us in the next city. But God had already planted some great seed there in Philippi with Lydia and with the Roman jailer and with her household. And that seed was left there to begin to take root and to grow and to birth a church in Philippi, which actually eventually happened. The lessons for us today and the lessons that we've been learning from the people that we've looked at over these last uh, few weeks, um, again, I just want to remind you, these were everyday people who were working in their culture, but they were impacted by the message of Christ. And that's how God wants you and I today in this culture to respond as well. Follow their example. So um, God will help you to use whatever you have in whatever circumstance in life to make a difference. That's what we learned from Philemon and Onesimus. Remember, Philemon was a wealthy slave owner. Onesimus was his slave who ran away. They were both guilty of doing things they shouldn't do. And yet when they both came to Christ, they realized, they both realized, we our family together in Christ. We're brothers in Christ. And so they were willing to forgive each other, to reconcile, and to work together uh, for the kingdom of God. That's what we learned from Philemon and Onesimus. There shouldn't be uh, looking down on people uh, or looking at those who are wealthy and being angry at them for being wealthy or looking at the poor or slaves and saying they're somehow different than us. In Christ, we're one. From Priscilla and Aquila, we learned that men and women together can serve the Lord, whether they're married couples or business partners, we can receive the grace and the gift of God, and then we can use the success that we have to share the gospel. From Priscilla and Aquila, we learned that whenever they traveled from town to town in their tent making and their business, wherever they were, they opened up their home uh, to invite other people to come and study the scriptures together and to, to worship God together in their home and basically became church planters. From Tychicus, we learned that you don't have to be a business owner. You don't have to be a wealthy person. You can just see what God is doing and receive Christ as Savior and then want to come alongside and partner with that work, just like Tychicus. He was a beloved brother. He proved he was trustworthy and honest, and he just wanted to help, and he just wanted to serve. And God used him as a messenger uh, and to do a mighty work in spreading the gospel in the early church. And then again, with Lydia today, we see that you can use your resources that you have to influence your family, but to also not be ashamed to support those who are in ministry and to use those resources to further the gospel and, and to support evangelism. So there is something that we can learn from all of these people. As we begin to move toward Easter, um, Good Friday is the last Sunday of this month, and Easter Sunday is the first Sunday in April. Uh, we're going to shift just a little bit, and we're going to begin to look at some individuals during the time of Christ and during his ministry uh, leading up to the time that he went to the cross. So I'd appreciate your continued prayers for me and for Pastor Eric as we pray and as we prepare and as we get ready to share, because we can learn so much from these individuals. Would you stand? Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you for your word and the opportunity we have to learn from it and to study it. And I pray that you'll help us to accurately understand and interpret your word. And not only just look at the facts of what happened, but Lord, to see your spiritual principles at work that do not change. Culture changes, your spiritual principles do not. And so help us, Lord, to apply those principles to our lives today. Help us to find ways to follow the legacy of Lydia. And Lord, again, if there's someone today that has listened to this message and, and this has touched their heart in a way that is causing them to be more open to you, to trust you, to receive you as Savior, and maybe they're feeling that, that calling on their life to, to begin to use what they have to honor you and to serve you and to support your work, then, Lord, I pray that as you open their heart that they'll respond by faith and believe. So if there's any who are, is listening to that today, just join me in this prayer. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I don't understand it all, but I thank you for your love. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my shortcomings. Forgive me of my failures and my sin. Forgive me for unbelief. And Lord, I believe now, and I open my life to you. I ask you to come into my soul and to cleanse me of sin and to fill me with your spirit and help me live for you. In your name, amen.